You're listening to the Kingdom Flow Podcast. I'm Kyle Jones. And I'm Ian Sperry. Now more than ever, we're in a time where Christians need to rise up. Business owners and corporate executives have a great opportunity to capture hearts by living out their faith, holding the line that's being challenged every day. Listen in as we work to uncover ways to help you live your life by design and challenge the norm by breaking down barriers and truly encouraging you to go all in on your faith. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice. Let's go. Father, thank you for another day to uh, come together and uh, talk more about you, glorify you a bit more, um, lift you up more. And Lord, I just pray that this podcast again would be just glorifying and honoring to you and... um, it would bring you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're actually uh, outdoors yes. for this episode. And we've got our dear friend, Jason Melton, who now lives down the street from us. Yes, I neighbor. Say we, we live down the street from you. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. What a blessing. You're here first. But, uh, and, and if the listeners can't tell, so we are outside. It sounds like there's somebody building a house behind us. So you might hear some, some, some sawing. Yeah, right Kyle now, asked but, me if there's any scheduled yard maintenance and i said no not here but who knows about who knows yeah, we, we yeah. can't control the elements <laughs> yes uh we've got some horses over here that you can't see in the background so you know hopefully they'll they'll behave themselves as well but uh jason appreciate you being on the show man my pleasure. we um identified you as somebody that we wanted to have when we first uh, got going yeah. to uh, be a guest on the episode and a lot of it obviously has to do with your background because we we like to uh bring in high level achievers and and people that um, are successful both in the business world and, but also the family world and the spiritual world as well. And so that's why we're happy to have you. And so just to hit a couple high points on your background, this bio you sent me, um, you've done quite a bit. So you started as an investment banker, eventually worked your way through uh, a few C-level positions and ultimately found yourself as a CEO of a healthcare technology startup company, uh, which has ultimately uh, sold now. You were a part of a um, of a sale a couple of years ago. Uh, Entrepreneur of the year by <clears throat> by Ernst and Young, and now you're you're creating more work for yourself as the executive <laughs> producer of eight feature films, uh, two streaming series. You've got Blue Ranch Farms, which you're representing on your chest here. Uh, I'll <laughs> let you talk more about that. But you've done a lot. The thing that surprised me the most, I guess it, it shouldn't surprise me, but I was shocked to learn this about you through your bio, is you are a member of an organization called Mensa. So I had to look this up because I wasn't sure what that was. But as Ian pointed out, I guess you're basically a certified genius. <laughs> I've never attended a meeting. <laughs> and it's funny, my youngest son, Jet, uh, the other, you know, I never talk about it because, I mean, it, nobody likes Sure you talking about something like that. And um, my youngest jet was basically accusing me of being pretty dumb the other day. And just the spirit of pride welled up in me. I said, <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm in, I'm in Mensa. And he's like, well, what's that? And so I explained it to him and he looked at me straight and he said, nah, nah. no chance. <laughs> I, no chance you're in that. <laughs> it makes more sense now that why we get along. Since <laughs> I'm on that same- Opposites attract. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's, that is the truth, actually. That is the truth. That is pretty cool. That's that is funny. Really cool. That's funny. So of all that to say, you're also um, 
uh, a great man of God. Yeah. You've, you've uh, been a part of just um, various churches, even startup churches, if you will. And you've been uh, close to the, the, the pastors who have started those churches. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to this because you bring a wealth of wisdom and um, and you're a younger guy. You know, yeah. you got a couple grays, but we all do yeah. at this point. But, you know, usually I mean, you've you've accomplished so much and, you know, in, 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 in where you are in life and you know, you're also in a new season of life. So yeah. um, I'm curious to to know a little bit. Maybe we can start there. Um, you know, sold a company and you've picked up some of these other hobbies. Um, have you always found an interest in those hobbies or have did you have to go search for something else because of just for whatever reason you, you felt like you needed to continue to work in some capacity or you know, just give us a perspective on, on this new season that you're, that you're encountering. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it wasn't because I just felt like I needed to go do something. I can promise you that. Um, about 10 years ago, I had been working with great people, godly men who were successful businessmen, and I was a junior partner of theirs and in and around a lot of folks. But I still, there wasn't anybody's life that I really wanted. And at that time, I felt like the Lord started given me permission to change the way that I looked at success and, and what that meant for me and not to do it in a way that was comparing my relative success with other folks. Mm. And at the same time, uh, the Lord started putting these dreams in my heart of things that I was really excited about doing that. I knew if I had the chance, the time and the resources to focus on them, it never would feel like work. And, but I didn't have the time and resources <laughs> at the time. And there's, uh, know, a lot behind that story. But um, so when we sold the business two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, as we were getting ready to close that transaction, uh, I knew that the next season was going to come. And, and I'd had these thoughts and plans for several years leading up to that happening. In fact, I'd written out the things that the Lord had put on my heart to, to go and do and focus on several years before that sale took place. Uh, but that was a necessary step. And uh, so I, I took a little bit of time, like maybe a week, <laughs> you know, they say you're supposed to take a long period yeah. of time yeah. after working to accomplish something like that. But I was just so passionate about these other things. It has not felt like work since. And although I am quite a bit busier than I was even running a fast growing business. So. Yeah. For the listeners that don't know, can you give a little bit, so you, we kind of talked about transition, but can you give a little bit of background? Like, I don't even know the full story, right? Of, yeah. of, of the previous business and what that, what that looked like, what that accomplished, right? I think there, it, we don't like to gloat about ourselves a lot of times, but there is something in the significance of, of how it accomplished and how it sold and, and all that. Can you give a little yeah. bit of background into that so they, they know who they're talking to a little bit? Sure, yeah. Uh, so that business was called Second MD and it was definitely a team effort. I was yeah. not the founder of that business. It was founded by a, a dear friend, uh, a guy named Clint Phillips, who's a, South African guy, loves the Lord, really interesting story. He moved to, to Aspen uh, to play rugby and then started out doing odds, odd and ends jobs to pay the bills and then started a, a pain and uh, uh, management clinic, a spine and joint management clinic in Aspen, Colorado. And he had been trained as a chiropractor in South Africa. Okay. And then uh, had some kids up there and his third daughter uh, or his third child when she was born, she had a stroke shortly after birth and was paralyzed on the right side of her body, including her face and, and, and right arm. And they didn't know what to do. So 
there was a real ordeal um, to get answers for their own daughter. The first doctor in Aspen said, I can't help you. The next doctor in Denver, several hours away, said, your daughter will never walk or talk. The next doctor, four-month waiting list in Houston, within a minute oh. of the uh, appointment after all the paperwork said, I'm sorry, I'm not the right doctor for you, but I know somebody who is. It's another three-month waiting list. So it was the better part of a year before he could get answers for his daughter. And he really felt that uh, the Lord put it on his heart to make it a lot easier for families like himself to access great medical expertise. So he launched the business in 2011. Uh, I got involved in uh, late 2013. I was working with a, a serial entrepreneur, uh, a great man. And it was the last thing that we took a stake in together. And then unfortunately, uh, my friend and mentor, Stacy Taylor, he passed away. He was only 49. He was kite surfing in Switzerland, instant heart failure. And um, so this happened to be uh, his passing was like a week before I was scheduled to go on a, a, a men's expedition in Colorado. And that's really where I learned that you could have a conversational walk with the Lord mm. and really, you know, believe that and understand it and hear the voice of God and have him direct your life. And I had a whole lot of questions at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we can dive into that later if you'd like. But um, so I unwound, um, you know, there are a lot of different businesses we were involved with. The family really didn't want to be involved with any of them. So we unwound those remarkably fast. He died on August 16th and uh, 10 years ago and, and worked myself out of a job by the end of November. And then uh, went on a mission trip to India. And then I wanted to, to, I was trying to figure out the Lord was putting these dreams in my heart, but I, I didn't have much runway uh, to provide for our, our family with my wife and four kids. And so, but I decided I wanted to read through the Bible cover to cover in as condensed period of time as I could. And um, so there's a theological library that a guy named Mark Lanier here in the greater Houston area opens up to the public. Beautiful mm. place. So I went there with my Bible, nine to five, Monday through Friday, was fasting during the daytime there and with nothing but the Bible and a whole bunch of colored pens. And I wanted to read the Bible cover to cover. And I did the math. I thought if you can read the Bible in 15 minutes a day for a year, that's about, uh, that's about 90 hours. So maybe it'll take me two and a half weeks. Well, I was really going deep and I was cross-referencing everything I was reading and praying through it. And so it took me about two and a half months. And over that same period of time, uh, the founder of Second MD, Clint, it was still really a pre-revenue business. It started out as a direct-to-consumer business and that just wasn't working. So he was in the midst of trying to uh, think about changing that over to a, a B2B model and uh, was really wanting me to come and help him uh, go and grow that business. And I felt like the Lord was guiding me to that and, and basically saying these other dreams that I put on your heart, now's not the time. And so I uh, jumped in with Clint and um, he said, you want to be the CFO? I said, no. He said, you want to be the COO? I said, no, not really. He said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. I'll, I'll just go sell it to big companies. Uh, and I had some relationships with some folks. And uh, so did that for a couple of years. And um, that was really in 2014 when I was getting, getting full-time up and running with them. And then um, we, we, we won a few big clients early, some very large employers like Texas A&M, University System, Waste Management, Morgan Stanley, some other large employers. And that started to provide some momentum for us. And at the same time, Clint really felt a, a calling to, uh, to, to leave the business and go launch a different business that was really more app-driven and, and uh, asynchronous text with doctor type driven. Mm -hmm. So he moved to Austin and I became the CEO at that time. And was able to, I mean, you know, the, the fir very first thing I had to do, um, it was March 1st. We had payroll like March 15th. I had to uh, take all the money out of my IRA to fund payroll. 
for, for the next payroll. I had to let go half of our executive team to make that payroll and then go raise some money. But, you know, we turned it around and that was in March and April. And by October, we were profitable for the first time and then started growing. And I was able to build just, we were able to build a, a wonderful team, very, very talented team. And the Lord blessed our business and we grew and had half the Fortune 500 companies sign up and offer us to millions of people around around the country and around the world. And then uh, we were able to close the sale of that uh, five years and one day after uh, me becoming the CEO. So it was uh, it was just a, a real great journey. That's incredible. I actually, cool. I, I just know this about you, just knowing your story, but you were actually also a consumer mm. of, of the technology that essentially saved your life, correct? Well, it saved the quality of my life for yeah. sure. The Lord saved my life. <laughs> sure. I was, uh, yes, that was five years ago now. I was skiing with my family in Breckenridge for a few days. And then I was, I flew over to Aspen and was joining some college friends of mine uh, in Snowmass, which is a mountain near there. And I, I uh, the you know, first half of the first day, we were going down a black run called The Edge. And I decided to follow one of my friends, uh, well, a few of my friends uh, that left the trail to go find some fresh powder through the trees. And so I was following them and uh, they say what happened. They, I, I say they say, because I don't really remember what yeah, happened yeah. is that I was skiing fast, but I was in control and I was skiing close to the edge of the run, which was called the edge, ironically. And uh, they, they think that I hit a, a little tree that was under a tuft of snow that I couldn't see. And it just sent me flying. And I went, flew over the edge of the edge and did a head plant into a hard packed catwalk about 15 feet below. And I split my helmet in half, shattered my wrist. But more importantly, I, I broke uh, my spine, the C2. They call that a, the hangman's fracture because it's what they intentionally try to break when they hang you so you die right away. Wow. And it's almost always fatal. And if you live, you're usually paralyzed. But so I was unconscious. Uh, my friends that were skiing with me did a, a wonderful job of keeping me immobilized because they said when I woke up a couple minutes later, uh, one of the guys on the scene was a top doctor at, at Harvard. And he said, don't let him sit up. And evidently I was fighting and trying to sit up. And if I had done that, I probably would have severed my spinal cord. Wow. So they were holding me down. They got the ski patrol. Uh, they did a good job of getting me off the mountain, took me to the Aspen Valley Hospital, uh, figured out how bad it was. And then they put me on a helicopter and lifelighted me to a top trauma center in, in Denver. And I was seen by a good orthopedic team. It's the team that deals with the, the Denver Broncos and the Colorado Avalanche. And they did a good job of setting my wrist. It was about noon on Friday of spring break when it happened. And, um, by the time I got out of the ER and into the ICU, it was about nine o'clock at night. And the neurosurgeon came in and he said, well, your head's not connected to your body by your spine anymore. And one small bump and you could sever your spinal cord and be paralyzed or dead. So we need to stabilize your neck and we're going to do a C1, C2 fusion tomorrow. And I said, well, hold on. I want to have a second MD consult first. And he said, wow. well, I don't know what that is, but you better hurry. <laughs> and uh, so our team cool. went to work and got all my medical records loaded up in our system. Um, and I was having a 30 minute video consult holding up my iPhone, laying in my bed, uh, hospital bed the next morning with the top neurosurgeon. And he was able to show me pictures of uh, the procedure and pictures of my, my own imaging and explain where the break was and what it meant. And he said, you can do that surgery that they're recommending. It has a high success rate, but if you do, you will lose half of your head rotation for the rest of your life. Mm. And there's a better way. We can go in through the front with a single screw and you'll have a full recovery. And I said, well, I wanna do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the problem was there wasn't anybody in that hospital where I was who knew how to do it. And yeah. so the neurosurgeons came in and said, okay, your experts convinced me, I agree that's best, but we don't know how to do it. So we'd rather just do a fusion. And I said, well, hold the table for plan B. Second MD 
is there anybody in the greater Denver area who knows how to do this? Because I couldn't be transported far. And they called the top, uh, you know, uh, heads of the neuro departments at the top hospitals, figured out there was one guy who's a German doctor at uh, the University of Colorado in Loveland, which is about 30 miles away, and vetted his credentials and said, yes, he is, uh, he, he agreed to do the surgery that next morning. So it transferred me to uh, his hospital that Saturday night. And, you know, it was a very slow hospital ride. Well, yeah. And uh, and he did a four or five hour surgery the next day. Uh, I was walking two hours later. Dang. I flew home two days later. And five days after the surgery, seven days after the accident, I walked up seven flights of stairs to go to work. Um, that is I, I learned later I wasn't supposed to do that. Yeah, but, I was, yeah. but it was fine. Yeah. Um, so, I, wow. Um, wow. you know, after that, I had a great testimonial to tell our clients because not only did <laughs> it improve my did. quality of life, but it saved our health plan $100,000 because a spinal fusion was $112,000 and to go in through the front was $13,000. So, oh, uh, wow. and that's really what our service did is we helped people get better results and it wound up saving a lot of unnecessary, overly aggressive treatments. And so the payers would save money as well. And, and that combination enabled us to grow. But I, you know, I would go and, and tell p- potential customers, hey, I, I believe in our business so much, I broke my neck to prove that it works. Oh <laughs> my gosh, yeah. dude. That's an incredible that story. It really is incredible How story. did they, I'm just curious on it. How did they keep you stabilized? before surgery like Dude, I going through the hospital fart. The I mean like yeah. I would have been, yeah. you know like well you know what's what's it really the protection of the lord was all around yeah. me my wife was there praying for me we had uh three friends that were uh uh my friends uh, wives and then my my wife's friends that came in and were praying over me the whole time and interestingly enough you I was at a top trauma hospital so you would think they knew what they were doing but before the neurosurgeon came in and said hey we got to do a fusion the don't move because you could die. Uh, they had an orderly come and say, okay, we got to get you walking around. Mm. And he got me up and I walked for 30 minutes. I, I walked a couple miles around the hospital for, for about a half an hour. And then I came back and he said, now just sit in this chair. So I'm sitting up in the chair and I'm like, I'm not feeling very well. I think I need to lay down. And I lay back down. And then after that, the neurosurgeon came in and said, hey, if you move at all, you're going to sever your spinal cord. So don't move. Holy <laughs> That's amazing. That <laughs> wow! Glad that we're both communicating. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Jeez. yeah, wow. That's such a cool story. Um, ha- have you had any significant side effects since then? I'm just curious. Well, so I had to be in a neck brace for yeah. a few months, and um, in right as I got out of the neck brace. So this this was like early March in. Uh, early Ju- mid June, I was going with my wife to um, to Hawaii for our 15th wedding anniversary, and I had my neck brace on, but I wanted to be able to do everything, and so I, I used I talked to um, that neurosurgeon again who was on our platform, and I said, "Hey doc, can I jump off cliffs? No. Okay. Can I go scuba diving? No. Can I mountain bike? No. Can I do this? Everything I threw out at him, he basically said, "No, you can't do." And, that's not what I wanted to hear. Uh, so, I mean, I, I did a few of them anyway. But, yeah. but after that, I, was, I went to a healthcare conference in San Diego and I was out of the brace at this point. And I remember I was sitting in a conference room listening to, to uh, former President George W. Bush uh, speak and he d- did it, was doing an amazing job. But all of a sudden, it felt like somebody hit me with a cattle prod. And my whole body just felt like it was jolted with mm, electricity, nerves. not in a good way. Yeah. And it's like, well, what was that? And out of nowhere. And that kept happening mm. about it, you know, and unpredictably about a dozen times a day for the next uh, next month. And like, what's going on? And so actually one of our, our uh, one of our top nurses, April Reese, 
said, I think what you have, I've been researching it. I think it's called Lermite syndrome and it's a demyelination of the spinal cord. It's basically some damage and swelling of the spinal cord. And the, that's the prognosis. I mean, that's the diagnosis. The prognosis is they had no idea if you're, if you'll deal with it for the rest of your life or if it'll go away tomorrow. Like nobody would ever, you know, there's no way to know. And uh, our doctor said, yeah, you, good chance you'll be dealing with this for the rest of your life. There's nothing we can do. And um, so that wasn't news that I wanted to hear, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and I was still in the point where they said, hey, if you basically don't do any of the fun things you want to do for the next year and give this thing a chance to heal, then it'll probably be healed. But if you, in terms of the my neck, you know, fusing back together, uh, but if not, we're going to go ahead and have to do that fusion and then you will lose half your rotation. So, you know, be nice. And I've never been a very good patient, but I was trying to, be, you know, play nice. Um, and I, but a, about a month after that, uh, the, those electric jolts were going through my body. I started, uh, I, I was taking one of my daughters to a, a, a great camp in Northern California called J Tranch. And there's a lot of high adrenaline stuff there. A funny side note in a moment. But uh, on the, it, we flew into Bethel, California, uh, which uh, there, there's a great, or Redding, California, where there, there's a great church, yeah. uh, Bethel yeah. Church there, yeah. and yes. known to be a place where a lot of people come and get healing. And we went there um, the Sunday before the camp and then the Sunday after. And the Sunday before, uh, the pastor was saying, hey, uh, doing a moment for anybody who needed healing. And he said, I feel like there are people out there that have neck uh, problems that, that need healing. And I wasn't the only one that stood up, but I... You know, I, said, I got, went to get, get prayer for that. And I noticed that week they weren't happening as frequently. Uh, and then we went back the second Sunday, you know, after the camp and I went up for prayer again. And from that moment forward, I never had a, another tremor wow. again. It was completely gone, uh, which was, which is amazing. And the side note that I mentioned, they have something called the Alpine Tower at JH Ranch. And I'm like, this is three months after my neck surgery and I'm not supposed to be doing anything. And um, anyway, like a few weeks later, I'm in Seattle. I'm pitching to Starbucks and I'm in Seattle and I get a text message from my wife. And it's a picture of me on at the top of the Alpine Tower, hanging on to a, a, you know, a rope over here and jumping oh to a cargo God. net over here. And and she says, um, and just sends me the picture. And, and I just text back, where did you get that? And she said, it's on their website. And oh, I was like, oh, busted. <laughs> so, so. Wow. I, I, we kind of just go with the flow in this podcast. And so, but I'm just, I'm picking up on little subtle things, not subtle things in the story themselves between how you got involved with the business, almost dying. Um, and then knowing a little bit of Tiffany's story, the last 10 years of your life have been defined by miracles. Yeah. Like legitimate miracles. Absolutely. Um, there are people that listen to this podcast that are either in need of a miracle, um, have, um, are still waiting for a miracle. Would you share a little bit of, and I want, I want, again, I've said this a couple of podcasts ago. A lot of times we always hear the negative side of things mm. and we never hear the fruit of the miracle of things. Mm. Right. And this is what I love about this podcast is these are stories where God has showed up and showed off Every time, all the time. And so would you share a little bit about Tiff's story? Oh, sorry. I keep, yeah, you're right. Keep beating. Sorry. Um, <laughs> would, you share, would you share a little bit about Tiffany's story, your wife's, and how there was another miracle with that? 
um, just to encourage the listeners and really it encourages me every time that I've, every time I hear it. I'll be happy to. And, and then there's a couple of others that I can tell briefly please, as well. Please. Uh, so October 3rd of 2019. So this is so a few years after. A few years after my, my neck injury. Yep. And right after, uh, and it was about uh, 11 months after losing my mom to cancer. And she had battled stage four cancer for a while. And, and that was a tough ordeal. Uh, I'm flying back from New York on a business trip. And when I land at the airport, I have a voicemail to call Tiffany. And so I called her and she's in tears. And she said, well, let me back up. So earlier that summer, so that was been in October. In, in June, we took, for the second time, took our whole family to South Africa for a mission trip. And as we landed after like 30 hours of flight, we're landing and Tiffany says, I feel like I've got a lump in my groin and I don't know what it is. And, and you know, she wasn't feeling any other symptoms. So we said, okay, well, let's just monitor it and, and see. Uh, so it, it didn't go away, but she never had any other symptoms. And uh, she had been <laughs> scratched by our cat uh, early, you know, like a couple months before that. And so throughout the summer, it wasn't getting any better. And she thought, well, maybe she heard cat scratch fever is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that can, <laughs> I've got a, another funny cat story some other time. But anyway, um, so she went to go get a biopsy and all her blood work was okay. Went to get a biopsy thinking nothing of it. Well, the, the results came back that she had stage three cancer uh, called follicular lymphoma, which is a type of blood cancer. And she had gotten that news when I was flying back from New York that day. And so uh, that, that was pretty devastating. Uh, the business that we were in, we were connected at all the top doctors and hospitals. So we went and got in to see the very best at, at MD Anderson. And, uh, you know, we, they gave us the options of chemo, which my wife wanted to avoid at all cost, and immunotherapy, which is, uh, you know, a new innovative way to engage the body's immune system to fight cancer. It has great results in some and in improving results with others. Someday it'll probably be the future, but for now we're, you know, a lot of cancers still have to have chemo. Anyway, they gave us the option and we chose the immunotherapy. The great news is for the next three months, as she had treatments, we, she had really no side effects. Wow. The bad news is <laughs> no improvement. And we were, we were uh, in a church that really, really believed in the, the power of, of healing and had seen miracles mm -hmm. happen in South Africa and other places. And everybody's praying, really powerful moments. Uh, and so we went into January to, for the checkup to see if the cancer was, was gone fully expecting a miracle that it would be gone. And we were really pretty disappointed when they came back and said, it's a little bit worse. Uh, it's still there, it's a little bit worse. And we're like, this just doesn't make any sense. Cause we were fully believing that that miracle was, was, had, had occurred. And um, so we went back in and the, the doctors said, okay, we gotta go to the next round of therapy and we can either do 12 months of a more intense immunotherapy or six months of chemo. And Tiffany said, I want immunotherapy again. I don't want to do the chemo if we don't have to. So we started doing that. Now, this was a very different result than the first time in terms of the side effects. Uh, after the first treatment, I'm in a, a conference room with our leadership team, and I get a call from my oldest daughter, and she's screaming in the background. I hear Tiffany just moaning in pain, and uh, my other kids crying in the background. And she had passed out and, and hurt herself. And anyway... Um, there wind up being for the first three treatments, three 911 calls where we had to rush her to the hospital. And for various things, they thought she had all sorts of other complications. So that was a scary time. So the beginning of 2020, the year of COVID, 
was hard for us, but not in the same way. We actually were blessed during the COVID time in that we could come together as a family. We had a lot more family time, but, but those first three months were rough. Uh, now, the MD Anderson, the doctors there called my wife in, in late March, early April of 2020 and said, hey, what we're doing to your body is worse for you if you were to get COVID than even chemo is. And so we need to have you come in. I know we're not supposed to test you for another nine months, but we're going to go ahead and test you. And if there's any improvement at all, then we're going to go ahead and just pause treatment until this COVID thing's over. If there's no improvement, we got to keep going. But if there's any improvement, we, we don't want to keep doing this to you. It's too risky. We said, okay. So went in and got the tests. And then on August um, 7th, which was this Good Friday this year, uh, then it was the next day, they called back and said, well, we don't know how to explain it, but there's not a trace of cancer in your body. Not even, not even any scar tissue. They, the doctors called it a remarkable remission. Um, so, you know, just, that's, that, that was amazing. I want to, uh, I want to just, just hit on it just for a second. I just want to get your, your thoughts just cause I'm, I'm, I'm on it in my brain when the, a lot of times we believe for miracles to happen Yeah, and like your situation, you knew it was going to happen the first time and it didn't happen. Yeah. What was your reaction? What did you do? What did you not do? A lot of times people give up and they're just, um, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. How did y'all continue I'm beating the table again. How did y'all continue <laughs> to, to stay in the faith and, and believe again? Well, through faith, yeah. I think is, is the first thing. And through surrender, understanding that uh, we can take our petitions to the Lord. We can even pray in his authority that he's given us. And we've seen that work in, in a number of ways and times. But ultimately, it's up to God. And we just have to trust that what he has uh, in mind is, is the best. We struggled through this with my mom, really believing that she was going to be healed yeah. and she was showing signs of healing. And then all of her treatments for the cancer led to a different type of cancer, a, a acute like uh, uh, leukemia. Um, and that within 30 days of that diagnosis, she was gone. And so we, we struggled with why was she not healed uh, when, when we believed that she was going to be but at the end of the day, um, we've also seen many times the Lord healing. And, and the reality is every day is a blessing. Every day that we have is a blessing and a gift from the Lord. And we should treat it as such. Um, so with Tiffany, we continued to believe that the Lord had a plan and that either through whatever was going on, uh, he was sovereign and we were just going to lean into that and, and trust. And while we kept praying, for healing and, and, and commanding healing in, in mm. the Lord's name. Uh, I will say that my mom was able to share her faith with several people, other patients in the hospital and other staff at the hospital. And who knows what eternal fruit will come from, yeah. from her being in that situation. Yeah. We have to just trust that there were good things there. Uh, I, I mentioned there were a couple of other quick ones. Do I have time yeah, to tell a couple of quick yeah. ones? So I didn't grow up uh, believing that the Lord was still doing miracles. You know, typically like in the Baptist church, uh, it's like, yeah. Hey, that happened a long time ago. It doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with the Lord speaking to you and other things. Right. And so, uh, that just wasn't my understanding of things. And through working with, uh, the, the, the two brothers, Clint and Brent Phillips at, at second MD that had grown up in South Africa and their mom, uh, Maureen Momo, uh, wonderful woman of faith. They grew up in the church in South Africa where that was the norm. Mm, like right. you saw miracles all the time and that's what you expected. And then they came to church and they're like, 
why is God different here? Wow. <laughs> you know, in America, when they yeah. came to America, they're like, I don't understand. <laughs> wow. What do you mean you don't believe that God can heal? I've seen it all the time growing up. And so they started, you know, just hearing all their stories started challenging me. And um, we were going to um, prepare to, for a mission trip in South Africa. And uh, we were taking our whole family and my mom at that time who had been diagnosed with cancer, but we were taking her anyway. And, uh, and so Brent Phillips, who was the pastor of that church, was asking us to read books on healing. Uh, and, and one from uh, the guy that leads the Bethel Church and, and others. And that really started opening my eyes to, well, there's a lot of other people that seem to have some credibility that say this happens as well. I've got two dear friends and business partners that claim it happens all the time. Right. You know, uh, I didn't believe until a few years ago, you can hear from the Lord. And now, I, you know, I have a daily conversational walk with the Lord. So who knows? And, and I'm, I'm open to whatever. Lord, show me what's, you know, what's real. And then um, a couple months before we went, uh, there is a, a, a book that's written by now a dear friend, a guy named Lee Strobel. It's called The Case for Christ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Lee's an awesome man. Uh, I didn't know him at the time, but uh, it was really pivotal in my returning uh, to faith in the Lord and really becoming a Christian really for the first time uh, back in my mid-20s. And right at this time, uh, he had made a movie on uh, The Case for Christ and it was coming out and I had no idea if it was going to be any good, but I wanted people to see it. And so I rented out a movie theater and I invited a few hundred folks and I um, then took them to um, this industrial warehouse space where we were uh, moving our church to at the time at a plant that I, we'd helped uh, plant, a church that we'd helped plant. And it was this old industrial building with one inch thick steel doors. And, uh, but that's where I could get some space. And I brought everybody back and I was uh, providing them dinner and then I was sharing my testimony. And in the middle of sharing my testimony, um, my youngest at the time, Jet, was five years old. And um, no, he was younger than that. Anyway, he's, he's around that age, maybe four years, four or five years old. And um, I'm sharing my testimony and Tiffany runs up to me and says, come here, come here, Jet's hurt. And my mother-in-law is a nurse. Our, our head of nursing at 2nd MD was there. And what had happened is Jet was running around playing and, and he put his index finger on his right hand and he's right-handed. So like the most important finger you have uh, in the, the jam of the door and someone had slammed that big one-inch thick steel door closed. And it closed completely on his finger. And they brought me Jet and we're holding him and his right finger was flat as like a pancake and white. There was no color in it. And it was completely flat. And my mother-in-law, who was a nurse, and our head of nursing at 2nd MD said, he's going to lose his finger. We need to get him to the hospital. And so we're about to do that. This is in the middle of me sharing my testimony there. And Brent Phillips, the guy that I mentioned that I worked with, who was a dear friend, who was taking us to South Africa, he said, hold on, let's stop and pray. Mm. I said, okay. And uh, so he you know, put his hands on Jet's finger and started praying and praying for a couple minutes and then took his hand off and we saw it in front of our eyes, his finger starting coming back into normal shape, the color coming back in. We didn't even take him to the hospital. I continued my testimony. We continued dinner, took him home that night, didn't even have any like children's Advil and Jeez. we were playing catch in the yard the next day. Dude, wow. Uh, that deserves a slap. Which was amazing. <laughs> that right? is amazing. And so that was the first miracle I ever saw with my own eyes. Uh, and we saw a lot after that, but the second one, and this sounds not near as um, important, I guess, as potentially losing a, a finger. But when we were on the flight to London, which was a stopover to South Africa, uh, like half an hour before we land, 
we had about a 10 hour layover in London and half an hour before we land, uh, my son, James, who was two years older than Jet, said, I don't feel well and, and I'm going to throw up. I said, okay. Uh, and so I get him up and I'm trying to get him back to the bathroom at the back of the plane. And he just loses his stuff everywhere over oh, passengers Ooh. over the aisle. I mean, it's, that's a lot of stuff. Imagine if you were on that lobby yeah. wagon. <laughs> and, and so and it was so bad that stewardesses brought us a big industrial size waste bag and said, oh. use this the rest of it. And he's filling that up the whole rest of the flight. And then we get in, into the airport and he's throwing up everywhere. We get on the train, he's throwing up everywhere. It was clear that he was, you know, an hour into uh, a stomach bug. And those things will last typically yeah. a day or two, yeah. right? Yeah. At least. Yeah. Um, and it was a violent stomach bug. That's, you know, what it was. And he threw up the entire day. He was just, we we're going around London and he's just losing it everywhere. And we, I remember we were walking through a garden and he's throwing up again. And there's a group of like 30 of us. And again, Brent said, hey, I've had enough of this. Everybody mm. come together and we're going to pray for James. And so we all got together and uh, just commanded healing in James's body by the, by the authority and power of Jesus given to us here on earth. And by his, his blood, his life, his death, his resurrection, sickness be gone. And in the middle of the prayer, the color in James's face started coming back. And we're about five hours into this stomach bug at this point. And he never once got sick and played and ran around the rest of the day like, wow. like a normal kid. And so that one's not near as important, but still no. healing five hours Absolutely. into a stomach bug. I'm reminded of that song by Elevation, a thousand or a million little miracles, right? Yeah. He's, God's doing them every day, all day, whether it be a stomach bug, a finger, a cancer, whatever it is. At, at any different level he's doing it, it's just our job to pick up on them yeah. and yeah. to engage them on a regular basis. So, But it's also having the belief and faith yeah. that he can Still do the do big that. things. Yeah. Because I, I'm sitting here thinking, you're thinking of that song. I'm thinking of the Brandon Lake song, uh, Too Good to Not Believe. believe yeah. And he, he, goes, he goes into a run where he's seen cancer disappear. He's yeah. seen metal plates dissolve. Yeah. And... You know, I got to be honest, probably even five years ago, just where I was in my faith journey, I don't know if I would have truly believed that yeah. where I do now. And, um, you know, I've, I've just heard too many stories like this where you, you can't explain it. Yeah. And that's that's all it is. It's 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 a it's a miracle in itself. And I think where the world is today, people people most of the time don't have enough faith to see that through. Um, and the healing power of God is, it's not like a slot machine. You don't just, you know, right, yeah. we should pray with confidence and faith in an authority, but ultimately it's up to God sure. to yeah. heal or, or not to heal. And what he wants is our surrender and our obedience and our love. And I've seen as many times as I've seen probably several times more as I've seen the healing yeah. happen. Yeah. I've seen it where well, it didn't happen. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we, I think as humans wrestle with. But the uh, faith is a gift from the Lord. And man, when, when we see it, it happen, it's just a reminder of his, his goodness and love. And like we were talking about earlier, every day is precious. Every day mm -hmm. is a gift. And uh, we just need to have hearts of thanksgiving and gratitude, and, uh, but not be afraid to ask yeah. Uh, yeah. for that healing. That's I want to go back to the neck injury and Tiffany's cancer diagnosis. Um, and... I really just want to ask you, like, okay, it's easy to say you, you just you just keep the faith. You don't know how, but I'm sure you had days where you just it was very difficult to even do that. Um, being on the other side of a miracle, it's much easier to look back and reflect on that. I certainly, have experienced that in my own life. Um, 
how did you continue to to move forward? Like truly, like go another layer deep, if you if you don't mind. Put yourself back into that situation, maybe when you were sitting there in the hospital, or uh, when you're seeing your wife go through this, you know, over the course of several months. Like, what kind of pressure did you feel? What were you, what were your emotions that you were having through that whole process? Because I'm. I know we're, we're human, right? It's very difficult to just get up every day and say, look, yeah. I'm going to believe and I'm going to have faith. And then yeah. in the next breath, you get well, hit with some other yeah. anxiety or whatever that could be. One of the things that I learned is it's not in our own strength. You know, you can't muscle through this stuff. Uh, you've got to just, again, it's, it's the surrender out of, out of thankfulness uh, to the Lord. And, you know, one thing that I would say that characterized my time in the hospital, I never once felt any fear. Everybody around me was scared, but I just had this overwhelming sense of peace. And that came from the Lord, you know, uh, when Tiffany was battling this, she had moments of, of, of fear, but she also didn't, you know, had an amazing faith and peace through that. I had peace through that. I will say the difficult p- part uh, of that was not really a lack of faith, but, um, I think sometimes we can make a mistake of, yes, I, you know, I believe and not recognize that the pain is real and grieving is real. And so the moment that, that three months when we're having the three nine one one calls to the ER, I remember this one month in particular, uh, still had faith, still believed that she was going to be healed, you know, mentally, but at my heart, I, I was hurting. And I remember there was about a month long where I was losing my temper at the drop of a hat, way out of proportion. I mean, I would lay into my kids way out of proportion to what was going on. And it wasn't about them. And, and, and I could even, I remember walking down the steps one time, yelling at one of my kids for something that was not important. And in the moment, I knew intellectually that I was in the wrong and I needed to stop, but I, I couldn't stop the yelling. Wow. And what I, I learned through that was my heart was grieving. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I needed healing there uh, of my own heart and uh, from the Lord in order to deal with that and get past that. Because if I didn't, I was going to continue out in this uh, anger overflow that uh, that wasn't good for anybody. So how did you do that? How did, did you take, take, taking it to the Lord. council, or did you did you did you yeah you talk know, to other people? Um, I I am sure that there were some wonderful wise folks that were guiding me through this, but I think. Most importantly is I had learned through uh, some of the, the men's and women's expeditions that yeah. we lead and, and helping men, uh, you know, understand the heart of, of Christ and, and who we are and, and how, to, how to hear the voice of God and to believe it and to walk out in that faith. Um, I, I had learned that there are uh, lies that we believe. There are agreements we make with the enemy that need to be mm. repented of and broken, and we need to have the Lord speak truth into that. And, uh, and so really just going through that and taking it back to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm upset and I forgive you, forgive myself for being angry. What lie am I believing here? And then having the Lord, uh, you know, speaking to that so that I could break that lie and replace it with his truth. Yeah. Like the, the phrase that I keep hearing in my head is you've, you were just always ready. It was, it was, you were in this posture of staying ready by constantly submitting to yourself daily basis submitting to the lord submitting to his presence so that you don't have to get ready yeah and that's the reactive of it is you know we we if if we're always ready if we're in that posture then we don't have to react and get ready and now 
oh, now I'm going to pray because somebody close to me is sick. No, you're putting in the reps and you're exercising that faith on a daily basis. You, you don't get that peace unless you're doing that on a daily basis. Well, and if I could tell a little bit of story about how that yes. came to be, um, I'd mentioned that men's expedition in Colorado mm -hmm. about 10 years ago, shortly after my friend and mentor passed away, like within a, a week and where, and I had no idea what I was getting into. Frankly, I just had a friend who'd gone the year before and said, Hey, guys get together in Colorado. It's a lot of fun. You should come. And I, I'm one of those guys. I've just always said yes to everything, uh, you know? Uh, and so I said, sure. I don't, I didn't know any details get there. And really it was an expedition where the teaching was based on John Eldridge's wild at heart content, mm -hmm. but the focus was really on, um, understanding who Jesus is, who he thinks of you and him as a man, and then learning to hear his voice and have that and walk that out. And, um, and I remember, let me, I'm sorry if I back up just Keep a little going. bit, yeah, a few months before that, uh, we were in a very, very busy season of life. We, uh, I was coaching two or three sports for kids. We were shutting down one business. We were uh, growing another business. My wife was homeschooling all four of our kids. We were planting a church. We were leading a community group in our home where I was teaching. We were preparing all the meals. We were doing the babysitting and the cleaning. And it was just, a you know, we were setting up and breaking down the church. It was a busy season. And I was okay because I, you know, like with the people coming over, I'm an extrovert. I'm okay with that. My, my wife is an introvert and all that really means, it doesn't mean you don't like people. It just means you recharge by yourself. Yes. Right? Whereas someone like myself, yeah, someone like myself, I kind of recharge being around people. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but I noticed that my wife was just worn out and wasn't very happy. I mean, she would just look like she was completely numb. And so I took her on a date and I, I can still remember I'm driving in the car and I look over at her and I said, Hey babe, what are you, uh, what are you looking forward to? And she said, nothing. And she's just listlessly looking out the window. And I was shocked because I'm like, I'm excited, looking forward to everything. And I said, well, I mean, what are you excited about? And she said, I can't think of anything. And I mean, that was so hard to hear as a husband. I, I thought I was doing a pretty good job, frankly. But uh, I, so I started praying, Lord, how do I make my wife's heart come alive? And this was before I knew you could really, you know, what that meant to have a, a walk with the Lord. And so one of the first questions I asked on that mountain in Colorado uh, was, God, how do I make my wife's heart come alive? And I remember him saying, first off, you can't. Only I can do that. And I will. Trust me in that. But you do have a job to play. Your job is to love her well and to pursue her relentlessly, regardless of how she responds. And, you know, that wasn't the silver bullet I was looking for. Frankly, I wanted like a much shorter approach to this. But, uh, but it was freeing in a lot of, in, in one important way. Because up to that point, if I look back and, and I'm honest about it, my love must have felt very conditional to my wife. Because I would try to love her. And if she didn't respond the way that I thought was deserved, then I would get frustrated and stop pursuing her. And that just reinforced in her mind that my love was conditional. Right. And so she didn't feel safe. She didn't feel secure in that. Didn't see, feel noticed and loved. And what the Lord was showing me is that regardless of how she responds to me, that's not, that doesn't have anything to do with who my identity as a man is. My identity is in the Lord. And so I need to stop looking to my wife to fill me up and make me feel like a man. And my job is, again, to love her well and to pursue her without end, regardless of how she responds. And so when I came back and started trying to live that out, you know, it wasn't like, 
an immediate switch because I'm sure she thought for the first few weeks, like this is a camp high. He's going to go back to his old jerk self <laughs> yeah. in a little while. But, you know, over several months as I'm living that out, she started coming to me and saying, hey, is there a women's version of this thing you went to? I said, yeah, there is. And she went and got some amazing healing on that. And then, you know, just really learned to, uh, to walk through that. Um, if can I tell one more there? Yeah. So it's your show, man. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, That's great. One of the first things that I remember um, asking the Lord and, and hearing his voice on at, the uh, camp. at that camp. What's I was, the camp called? Uh, Adventures of the Heart. Okay. So it, it's a, it's an affiliated offshoot of the Wild at Heart oh, stuff. Okay. okay. Yeah. Got it. Just with some different live teaching. Okay. And, um, but I was sitting on this beautiful mountain and I think scripture memory is such an important thing. Um, so walking, I had just uh, memorized the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right before this. And, and then so walking up the hike, I'm just repeating, you know, that, that scripture. Uh, and then I sit down and I'm looking out over, there's a, a valley and then there's a little corral in the valley. And I said, God, what is it like to, to walk with you? What, is, what does that really look like? And just then I noticed there was a man, a cowboy, dressed to the nines in his hat and his boot and his spurs and, you know, uh, chaps. And he's walking around doing something in, in the, in the corral and in the barn. And he's got this little boy that probably four or five year old boy that's dressed just like him. That's following him around doing everything, trying to do everything that he's doing. And then, I, and so I'm just sitting there watching and the, the cowboy, uh, stopped what he was doing in the barn, walked across the corral and, uh, opened the door and started getting in, a, in his pickup and his little son, started sprinting after him, fell down, tripped, got up, dust himself off and just started running to his daddy with his arms up like this. Mm. And he, he, he wasn't tall enough to get into the truck. And his dad just reached over and picked him up and set him in his lap and drove off. And I could see the biggest smile on that little boy's wow. face. And the Lord was telling me, that's what it's like to follow me. Cause that boy had no idea where he was going mm. or what he was going to be doing. So All he good. knew is that he was with his daddy. Yeah. You know, he was with mm. his daddy in his lap going on whatever adventure mm. the, uh, his dad had for him. And that's all he needed. He couldn't have been any happier. Mm. And that was such a powerful picture for me of what it's like to, to walk with the Lord. And, and I, you know, so I said, show me a picture of what that looks like, Lord. And so I'm, I'm drawing, and I had up to this point, um, way too many ambitions and other things, which I can get to in a minute. But he said, I'm not gonna tell you how to get from here to here in a straight line. I'm gonna tell you how to uh, just go a little ways. And then you have to take a right angle and, you know, and, and to where you, you can't see around the corners so that you have to walk in faith and it will be so much more fun. You will be relying on me and I'm gonna take you on a much greater adventure than you could do on your own. Uh, so that's what it's gonna be like to walk with me. And it was so freeing. Um, you know, and another, I mentioned that ambition. When I was 26, I wrote my obituary. <laughs> it's all mm. the things I was gonna do when I died at 101. And it was ridiculous. You know, you take like the 10 most successful people you can think of, put them together. And that's what I believed I was going to accomplish in my life. And um, now I'm not saying that you shouldn't have goals, sure. uh, but for me, I took it to the extreme, like too far. And I remember, um, and, and so the result of that was I felt like I had to make every second of my life productive towards an end. Otherwise I was wasting time. And what that really meant was everybody around me was exhausted mm -hmm. and I must've been miserable as a husband, <laughs> right? Because yeah you know, everything had to be productive to these outrageous, uh, goals. And, um, 
I felt like the Lord was telling me when, when I brought that to him on that mountain. Again, this is all happening that first yeah. week, uh, which is a great start to a, a walking oh, conversation right. with the Lord. But um, he said, hey, those, those aren't from me. Those goals aren't from me. Go home and print them out and burn them. So I did. I literally went out, pr uh, printed, uh, went home, printed them out and burned them. And he said, print them out and burn them and then come to me every day and ask me uh, what I have for you that day. And I will open the doors I want you to walk through. I'll give you favor with the people I want you to have favor with. I'll close the doors I don't want you to go through. And you'll have nothing to worry about. And, and don't, you know, and, and just walk freely and lightly with me and try to stay in the center of my will. And then I'll, I'll just take care of the rest. And it, it didn't mean that I became a couch potato. Uh, you know, yeah, the Lord sure. was putting dreams in my heart to, to go and do and passions. But uh, it was incredibly freeing that I didn't have to rely on myself, uh, you know, yeah. through that. And, and I will tell you when, um, when we sold our business and I finally had the resources to go and do a number of these things that, that I've, I've dreamed about doing, um, well, half of the, the proceeds, uh, were in stock. And as the CEO, they made me, uh, basically put up half of my stake. So all of my stock, uh, that I would lose if I left within two years, that was a retention play for them. And so I was like the only big shareholder that was tied up. And over that process, just market conditions, the stock tanked like 90%. And so all the money that I had to go do these things that I wanted to do was going away. And I remember I, there was about, um, so that was in 2020, the fall of 2021, uh, I just was feeling not my light, joyful self. And I, again, was kind of reverting back to that, to acting out of, um, you know, overly aggressive or, or angry out of proportion and just mopey. And, and that wasn't me because I'm usually a very carefree, optimistic guy. And uh, I, I remember the week before between Christmas and New Year's, I was in the shower and I was like, Lord, I was just angry. And I was like, you gave me these dreams. I believe that. So why are you taking away all the resources to do these? Why is things taking this long? And I felt like he said, spoke to me there. He said, yes, I did give you those dreams and I will make them come to pass. Uh, but I never told you when or how, and you forgot what it's like to be that little boy that's just mm. following me around, going where I, I'm leading you. Mm. You're trying to do this in your own strength and with your own resources, and that's robbing all of your joy. So at, at this time, I'd actually written down the, the, the dream several years before, and I had a habit of reading them every day. And at and that point, I felt the Lord say, stop reading those. You know, it's putting too much time pressure on you. Mm. Uh, and you're relying too much on yourself. And uh, so, I mean, I was, you know, again, able to walk freely and lightly for the next several months. And then occasionally I would slip back in, the stock would go down again. I'm like, ah, you know, I'd get frustrated. And then I'd have to remind myself what the Lord was saying, which is, hey, this is up to you. And you guys have a neighbor. Uh, I've got a neighbor over here who is a senior fire captain and a wonderful man. And um, last summer we had a big drought. Um, in Houston, he didn't have sprinklers in his lawn. So his, his grass was pretty dead. He had a lot of dirt everywhere. And, but he told me a story the next day that was uh, just so encouraging for me. And I'll share it here. He, he, uh, he said, I was mowing my lawn and all I really was doing was, was mowing dirt. And I was angry and I said, and, but then all of a sudden I had a realization. It's like, this isn't my grass, this is God's grass. And if God wants the grass to grow, he'll make the grass grow. And he said, it was so freeing. And at the rest of the day, I was able to mow my dirt in, in joy. Wow. And, uh, and I wow. just, I keep, you know, I say that to myself all the time. Like, 
this is not my grass, you know, or this is not my business. This is not my farm. You know, we've got, we're doing some amazing things at Blue Ranch Farm, and I think it's going to be incredible. And it already is, but we're, uh, you know, my vision is it, maybe it's going to take decades to fully yeah. realize. And so I'm constantly just trying to remind myself, hey, this isn't my farm. This is God's. Yeah. You know, that's so, so good. So good. I, I can't stop picturing that little boy yeah. just running to his dad. And mm. what, I, what I think about is the role that we play as fathers. We're all fathers here. The role that we play as fathers in the perception that our kids have of their heavenly father. Mm and what that looks like and and why why does that even matter is is because we want i personally want to give my kids the best perception through that through that role we will never be god that's not what i'm saying but what we can work to do is model the behaviors you know where maybe we're we're maintaining the vision right like you, what you're talking about it i i kind of separate it from you've got these goals from a vision vision lines more up with the legacy side kingdom minded mm -hmm. versus these goals are the little things that are going to you know may or may not get you there we don't know but it's more of the rat race type of approach but when you focus on the vision and the kingdom mindset for me that's what helps shape why i'm even continuing to pursue god why do i wake up every day and want to have a relationship with him it's because i'm thinking more long term and i'm thinking even past a couple generations on just helping my family shape a, a, a pure vision of what our heavenly father looks like and, and how that behavior may be modeled. We'll never get there, yeah. but you know, that's what I, I want to strive toward more than anything. I want them to have their own relationship with God and I want to lead them through that process. So all that to say, go ahead. Yeah. I, I so I've got four kids. I've got daughters that are 16 and 14 and sons that are 12 and 10. And this, the statistics on what happens when a kid leaves the home and whether they go into the workforce or off to college, even if they've been raised in a, in a Christian home, um, the statistics are, are pretty sad, right? I mean, the vast majority of people leave the faith and don't come back. And I think the biggest issue there is as parents, we haven't done a good enough job of giving them uh, opportunities to see the Lord at work and uh, really encouraging them to have their own faith and to experience God directly for themselves. Most people, unfortunately, just borrow the faith of their parents yeah. and then they never really experience God yeah. and know him. And uh, so one of the things that my wife and I really try to do is, is, is those, those two things, uh, help encourage situations where our children uh, can experience God for themselves and also just have opportunities to, uh, to, to see him work. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I, I think the, what a blessing it is to have children. And there are a lot of people I have many friends that, that want to have children that can't and right. some adopt and, you know, others aren't in a position to do that. But, uh, I mean, it really is a great reminder for us when we look at how much we love our kids and how much we would do anything to help them and, uh, and just comfort them and be with them. And then to realize how much more our father loves us. And Jesus does such a great job of, of teaching about that. Uh, when he, he says, you know, if, if your son, 
uh, wants bread, are you going to give him a, a stone or, you know, a, a snake? You know, yeah. I mean, you know, and how much of a better father is your father in heaven? Uh, and so I think it's a, a great reminder for us of um, how much God loves us. And, but a great responsibility, as you said, to steward the perspective and the impression that they have. So many of us put our father's face on God. And if he's aloof and checked out, that's what we think God is. If he's, um, you know, angry and, and controlling, that's the way we think God is. And if either of those two situations are happening, we think God doesn't care uh, or he is just angry and controlling, who wants to draw close to that, right? right? And so we, we step away. And, um, and so anyway, we, we definitely want, um, it's gonna happen. We're gonna wound our kids unintentionally. Sure. They're gonna look, they're gonna perceive God through the way that we treat them and the way that we act. But the more that we can have them look to God directly and, yeah. and not to us, and uh, you know, the, the far better that yeah. they will have the opportunity to experience him directly, the, the true God and his true love and face. Yeah, I mean, I, I was through that, I was just, I got a little emotional just thinking about that and picturing, mm. picturing that, that, that man in that truck as, as myself. Yeah. And then one of my boys running up. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I mean, all that to say through your journey on the spiritual side, what are, what are some other takeaways that, that you could impart? Like, and I'm thinking more practical because you said you want to put your kids in a position to where they experience that. So on a practical that look like? basis, what is that? Yeah. What do you guys do specifically to, to try to do that? Another great question. Um, I grew up, my dad was a park ranger in West Texas. So I grew up and from the age of like four or five years old, I would leave after breakfast. I would go explore the wilderness and come home for supper. And we lived before this house out in Katy, we lived uh, in Lakes on Eldridge and we backed up to the Attics Reservoir, 20,000 acres yeah. of just wilderness. And I wanted our kids to be able to just do what I did and run around and play. And my wife and I, we did, you know, we'd have disagreements on that. She would be like, you're crazy. And there's, <laughs> you know, there's hobos living out there yeah. in the camps yeah. and this is not the same world that you grew up in. <laughs> and and so we would have a lot of, uh, you know, and she usually won <laughs> those, those decisions. Yeah. But um, we've gradually grown towards each other, meaning while I'm still a lot less risk averse than my wife, she is less risk averse than she was. And I'm more um, probably thoughtful is the right way or wise yeah. than I was, you know, I used to just take any ridiculous risk. And so, I think we've certainly grown together in that. But we try to have situations where we recognize what stage of life is our, are our kids in and is something, so at JH Ranch, that camp in Northern California, they do a great job of kind of walking through the different stages of your kid's life uh, and your role as a parent. And you know they're, they're using a sailing analogy. And, and I took my family, our family went on a, a great sailing trip a couple of years ago, five weeks learning how to sail in Croatia, it was awesome. So some of these terms we, we recognize now, but the, um, you know, the J folks at JH will say when they're in there, like where my daughters are now, you, you've, you've stopped being, uh, you know, a cop. You're more of like just a coach and, and, and then, you know, and then counselor and stuff. And, and what you want to do is let them make their own mistakes. You got to help them avoid uh, boat sinkers is what they say. Like if there's a big rock or an iceberg that's going to like sink the boat and they're never going to recover from that. 
we as parents need to help them navigate around those. But at the same time, as much as we can, as they grow and as they get into their, uh, you know, early teens and then the late teens and they're becoming, they're learning what it means to, to be independent to, to who they are. They're going to make a lot of mistakes, but we have to in prayer, uh, number one, not worry way too many people worry about the kids, but number two, look for ways to, um, to say no less and less and to allow them to make mistakes. As long as we don't look at a situation and think you're about to drive over a cliff yeah. And that's not good. I need to come in and help you see that, even if yeah. you're going to be mad at me for it. You know, that's really good. That's good. Um, as what, so as we're kind of winding down, what is a couple things? What do you, what's, what's going on now? I know you mentioned the blue, blue ranch farms. Yeah. Um, can you, can you hit a little bit of blue ranch? Can you hit a little bit about, um, also the, some of the filming projects that are coming out? Mm-hmm. And then um, let us know where we can find some of that information to look more into it. Sure. Uh, so those dreams that I mentioned, the Lord started putting on my heart 10 years ago. Uh, one of those dreams was to build a biodiverse regenerative farm that put life back into the soil that would grow as much of what shows up on our family's table as we could in the most uh, nutritious and delicious way. And to really recognize that the conventional ways of monocrop industrial farming with chemicals, uh, it just strips all the life out of the soil. And the, the, you know, you, it's not hard to look around. I was in healthcare and see the nutrient deficiencies that people have and, and you know, all exposures to toxins and other things and that there has to be a better way. And then I, as I started learning about that, recognizing that God made everything to work better together in harmony. And things, you know, every ecosystem out there is biodiverse and, you know, uh, a healthy handful of soil contains like a billion microorganisms, but most of the soil, like at the, the raw land that we bought that we're turning into a farm, it probably had like a dozen mm. instead of a billion, not, a, not, not like a hundred thousand, like yeah, a dozen. Yeah. Right. And it, um, and it hadn't been sprayed chemically. It was just, that was the way that it had been managed, uh, b- before we got there. So the Lord put it on my heart to, um, grow as much food for our family and the community and teach people how he designed things to work to be- together better in harmony and to inspire and encourage them. So that, that's one aspect of the farm. There's a lot of other aspects of the farm, like a farm to table restaurant, uh, butcher shop, uh, creamery. The one thing I'd consider myself an expert in is ice cream. So we'll, we'll have, it is a goal of mine, a dream of mine to have the, the best tasting ice cream in the world someday. Uh, you know, but we're gonna have all sorts of stuff, a wedding venue, concert venue, family camps, a lot of different stuff out there and it's beautiful land. And we expect that there will, uh, I think there will be millions of people a year will come and be replenished. And, and when they step on the property, they're going to be, uh, they're going to feel more alive. They're going to feel more at peace. They're going to be blown away by the beauty and the vitality. And that's going to open them up more to, uh, to, to God. And so that's the farming aspect. There's a, there's a wildlife uh, aspect conservation and adventure that I have planned down the road. Uh, there's family camps, there, there's other stuff there that I want to do on that property. Uh, and you know, we're a couple years into what's probably going to be a, a multi-decade vision of building that out. Dr. Hotzi, we interviewed him last yeah. week. He, uh, he encouraged everybody to have their own garden. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you took that a step further. We took it a step further. And you've got your own ranch. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's interesting. We have, uh, we have this beautiful place here uh, where we had a dozen chickens and we were getting eggs all the time, but we've got 
now these uh, we got thousands of chickens at, at the farm and they are free range and yeah. they're, they're they're the healthiest delicious. and they they are so good aren't they they're so, so delicious and but even before we started eating the chickens the eggs that we were getting from the farm far superior to the eggs that we were getting here at our home in Katy and we were doing everything organically yeah uh, but two things number one I recognize we were spending way m more money each month on taking care of those chickens than it would cost to buy the healthiest most organic eggs. And number two, our eggs here were good. They're better than what you can get in the store, but they weren't near as good as from the farm. So we just decided to take our dozen chickens here. There was actually 13 of them. And we took them to the farm. And now they're running around in the pastures at the farm, free range. They're a lot happier and we're getting a lot healthier eggs. So that's kind of cool. Um, on the film stuff, yeah. if you want me to pivot there. Yeah, please. I, along with many, many people, so I'm not uh, you know unique in, in, in seeing this, but recognize that very few things have as much of an impact on our children's worldview than what they consume uh, by screens, whether that's film, television, YouTube, music. And uh, so there's an opportunity to use that for good. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there that use that for, for bad and a lot of negative influences on our, on our children. But media is really just a tool, you know, like this, this is media, this podcast, right, sure. it can be used for good, right? And so I wanted to be a part of helping bring great stories to the screen. Uh, I've always had a passion for that, you know, and there's an, an old adage in uh, how do you make a small fortune in filmmaking? Start with a big fortune, you know, and, <laughs> and that's probably true. I mean, it's a very risky thing and often doesn't work out. Uh, but I have been blessed to get involved in projects that I really believe in that I think are going to be fantastic things that I would want to see that I think will have great messages of truth and beauty and goodness and uh, an adventure to help awaken the hearts of men and women and really get kids on the right path. And so there's some, some things that we're involved with that are live action. There are some that are animated. Uh, you know, the first two animated things I did, uh, one's called the wing feather saga and it's, the best book series I've ever read to kids by a wonderful guy named Andrew Peterson, who's in Nashville. He's a Christian singer, songwriter, wing feather saga, four books, absolutely amazing. And it's the very first thing that I wanted to do when I had the time and money to do something was help bring that to the screen. So season one of uh, six seasons is out now and you can watch that on the angel studios app. Yep. Um, and my kids love it. Yeah. They love it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and the book series, I mean, We've done a good job with, with bringing it to the screen. The book series is even better. Yeah. And Andrew, and I highly recommend listening to it in Audible because Andrew's voice is so good. And the second time going through it, we didn't have the book with us and we were spending a, a month in Minnesota on a lake. And, and I, um, so I just said, I wonder if this is on Audible. And we, we downloaded it and realized two things. Number one, Andrew's voice is amazing. And number two, I was mispronouncing half the words <laughs> in the book. And so, you're a genius. Yeah, Imagine if I were yeah. pronouncing them. So I highly, highly recommend uh, the audio version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's another that is in production right now. And it's a, a live action. I mean, sorry, it's an animated uh, feature film on the life of David. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Another great South African man, Phil Cunningham, is is creating that. He's got a wonderful team around the world, hundreds of people involved in this. It's going to be Pixar quality and been working on it for many years. These things take about seven years on the animated side for something of, of this uh, scale. And uh, so that one is in the works right now. It's fully funded and that will be um, released in mid-2025. Mid and then there's some other uh, great stories, like one is called The Blind. It's the true life story of Phil and Kay Robertson, the Duck Dynasty patriarch oh, yeah. and matriarch. 
and just an amazing story. Uh, there's another that's called uh, The Boy Who Cried Witch. It's got Mel Gibson and Kevin James, and that's going to be uh, kind of like a Goonies and Stand By Me. There's one called The Wonder Project I'm very excited about because it, it actually stars our family, and it was a dream of mine to, to take my family on these great adventures around the world to inspire my kids to really be, fill them up with the awe of God all around them, the glory of God all around them, uh, to look for beauty and diversity and, and hope and truth and adventure. And so the first season we teamed up with a British family that's lived on a boat for the last five years, have kids the same age as ours. And we learned how to sail for five weeks in the Dalmatian Islands off the coast of Croatia, which is like a, a bucket trip list for people who sail. And we didn't know anything about sailing at the beginning. And then at the end, we do a solo journey through that uh, without, without the Woods family and you know the, the complications of that. Anyway, we've, we've filmed that. It's five episodes and we're uh, in early discussions now with people who, uh, you know, what platform to put that on. So that'll be fun. And there's just a variety of, of yeah. things that, that we're getting involved with. I imagine it won't slow down from there, but the one I am most excited about is the Dane. It's yeah. We've, yeah. we've actually been privy to um, seeing a little bit of that. It truly is Pixar quality. Is, it, is there actually anything publicly available, like a YouTube mm -hmm. link that people can check can it out on? we save it or post it yeah. to our We'll deal. post it, but they can also search yeah, for search. it too, right? You can. TheDavidMovie.com. Uh, so TheDavidMovie.com. Uh, they, they have like the five-minute video short yeah. on it, which is just a sample. Uh, we're coming out with, we're uh, making right now five uh, short films. Animated, they're like five minutes each. Uh, and they'll be released later this year. That's uh, like... Uh, to build the groundswell for the the feature film. Yeah. And these are like, um, they're on the five attributes of, of David, like, you know, warrior, shepherd, king, poet. And, um, and so those are going to be amazing. I've, you know, read the scripts and seen the animatics on those and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, we think that can be great content for like vacation Bible schools. We can yeah. roll out teaching series mm -hmm. on David and have churches around the country, all teaching on David at the same time, right before the film comes out. I think it's going to be the most watched animated film of all time and it's got opportunities for things like uh to be a broadway musical you know etc and other things so well just the accuracy too and, and the depth you know we got to meet phil when he came in town and him talking about just the amount of time that they even spent in israel where the, the, yeah. the david and goliath scene was actually you know had and it was just so cool the the, the amount of detail that went into it so yeah i, I really am excited about that but i don't I don't know if I have anything else. I mean, I'm no. sure we can keep talking. Can you tell us where to follow Blue Ranch yeah. Farms? Yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the URL is www.blueranchfarm.com. Um, Blue Ranch Farms, owned by somebody in England, and it was going to cost me several thousand dollars to buy, but it was like $20 to get blueranchfarm.com. So I went with that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's blueranchfarm.com. And uh, it's an awesome site. We've got, I was there. Uh, Sunday, uh, I was really there all weekend and then yesterday. And in the springtime, we have a lot of baby animals. So we've got cattle and sheep and pigs and goats and chickens and ducks and donkeys and horses and turkey and, and, and uh, all sorts of things. We, we just bought over the weekend, we just bought another uh, 52 Jersey cows because we've got 80 now we're going to build up, uh, you know, wow. to have the, the best raw milk and ice cream in the world. And uh, we got a lot of beef cattle as well. But we're having babies. So we've had several baby lambs born right around Easter, which was really cool. And including triplets to one, which is rare. Uh, we've had 80 baby goats born in the last week or two. And we think we'll have another 100 or 200 born in the next uh, few weeks. Some of our, you know, uh, uh, we have 17 great Pyrenees dogs, which are yeah. amazing dogs. Two of them are pregnant. Um, you know, I, I mentioned pigs pregnant. So Not this one in our neighborhood. No. Just that one in our neighborhood. He's, 
He needs to go. <laughs> he needs to go to our ranch. I think he, he looks. A little, he looks like he needs to. He doesn't do. like Ian. I don't yeah, know. he doesn't like my truck either. Yeah, but you know they they say that dogs are great judges of character. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> hey, some stories. It's it's, some stories. it's birthing season at the ranch. Yeah, it's probably birthing season with the Miltons, and yeah. it's so awesome. Thank you for yeah. sharing your story. Thank and, you. Uh, would you do us the honor of closing us out? I'd be happy to. Yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for uh, the cool breeze, the, the birds in the background. Thank you for Kyle and Ian and their vision for this, just to, uh, to share your light and your hope and your love with uh, listeners around the world. We pray blessings on this podcast and on this platform, on this message, that it will grow and reach and help uh, thousands and then hundreds of thousands and then millions of people around the world to see your truth and your beauty and your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you feel encouraged by today's episode. Help us reach the masses by leaving a review and subscribing to the show. We'll see you next time. 